welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me from the Phantom Zone is Sean. It's really smelly in the Phantom Zone, by the way. And time does not pass. No. Well, this week we watched the story of Superman's cousin and her decision to devote her life to helping humanity. Supergirl. Supergirl. Yes. Yeah, great show. I enjoyed it. I, I, yeah. I definitely did. We'll, we'll definitely get into it. Uh, we watched the first episode, just entitled Pilot. It aired on October 26, 2015 on CBS. But we figured with the series just recently being added to Netflix, it's a perfect time to cover it on the show. Yeah, Supergirl is uh, it's an exciting time for, for CW. It's kind of taken the, the mantle, I guess you can say, from Arrow. That's a feeling I'm kind of getting as, as the primary show. Maybe not totally from Arrow, but... It's definitely going to be an interesting fall for the CW DC comic shows. Yeah, it definitely fits in with those other CW shows. Uh, the series Supergirl was created by Greg Berlanti, Ali Adler, and Andrew Kreisberg. And uh, those people also wrote the pilot episode. Uh, Berlanti and Kreisberg, if that sounds familiar to you, they're also the executive producers of Arrow, The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. And for our reviews and breakdowns of the pilot episodes of all of those series, check out the Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, and Flash episodes in our archives. Yes. Yeah, season one had decent ratings on CBS, but I guess it just wasn't enough to justify taking a one-hour primetime slot on the number one rated network in the country, so it was let go. And it, it, you know, it really had that same fan enthusiasm as the other shows that DC had on the CW, uh, so soon after, it was announced that season two will air on the CW, along with the other hour-long DC Comics dramas. So, you know, it's a perfect fit for the network. Like I mentioned, the same people are behind it, and it kind of has a shared universe. Uh, there was that Supergirl in Flash crossover, and as we talked about in our Flash episode, uh, maybe there's uh, some way that they're going to combine that or join that Supergirl series into the rest of the Arrowverse. Yeah, especially with the the Flash uh, season finale, which I don't want to give anything away, but it really points to the the multiverse and the Flash story. Remind, refresh my memory, Scott. I forget well, what that Flash it, story. It is. doesn't yeah. even. It doesn't even. Well, the uh, Flashpoint is the Flashpoint. Yes, is the you. the crossover. But even like Crisis on Infinite Earths is hinted at in the very pilot episode of of the Flash. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I think we even had the theory that, hey, maybe when that takes place, maybe some of the Arrowverse TV characters join the cinematic universe. Maybe some things happen like that. You know, who knows? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I had a uh, interesting thought while I was reviewing this and looking at some research about Supergirl, the TV show. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it's in the pilot. But one of the first episodes of um, the season, season one of Supergirl, there is a reference to the Man of Steel, Zack Snyder movie, um, and specifically the destruction of Metropolis in that movie. That's what I had heard, yeah. The partial destruction of Metropolis, I guess you can say. So that kind of is an interesting spin. As we spoke about kind of a little bit in the Flash episode, the two, Supergirl and the Flash, even though they you know had this, this joined episode, um, this crossover, they're from different universes, as you mentioned. But if Supergirl is in the Zack Snyder universe where Metropolis is destroyed, but you know, by Superman and, and uh, Zod's fight, um, if it's the same universe then Supergirl would be then be in the same universe as, you know, the new Batman versus Superman movie and justice league movie and Wonder yeah. Woman movie. So that's, 
I thought that was interesting that they might play it that way. And who knows, you know, down the road with the Justice League 2 or 3 or whatever they decide to do with that. Hopefully we get at least one at this point. Maybe she'll be a character in that. Maybe this, you know, actual character from the, the TV show will cross over to that medium in, in the Justice League movies. Or we'll see some kind of like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. type of crossovers. Maybe some movie characters will be coming to the, you know, Supergirl franchise. Interesting. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but I kind of like the idea of, of her being in that same shared universe as the current movies, which which also makes sense. That the Flash, for example, wasn't, and also Aquaman, that are going to be in Justice League number one. You know, they're not well known, obviously, in, in Supergirl universe either. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't know who the Flash was when he appeared from this alternate universe. Him appearing in Justice League will kind of be an interesting. That's where that's where she learns about this universe's, you know, Barry Allen. And anyway, we can go on forever about all the speculation, but I, I just thought that was an interesting little reference they made. Yeah, so, uh, well, anyway, Crisis on Infinite Earths, according to the Flash pilot, should be settled in 2024. So, you know, maybe they figured by then Affleck will be out of the game and uh, (laughs) some of the other characters. And maybe we could get some uh, incorporation of some CW characters. Who knows what will happen by then, but... Yeah, it's... Who knows if... How the movies go and the ratings and the reception of the movies. We'll have to see what happens. But it would be kind of a cool crossover, I think, and... I'm really looking forward to uh, the Flashpoint spin when the Flash returns in a few weeks. Mm. I think in early October yes. with the third season, so that'll be really good to see. And season two of Supergirl will premiere on the CW on October 10th, 2016. Yes. And I think a big move, you know, CBS is a tough network for any show, so it's kind of interesting that they were able to get it on the CBS and not the CW initially. Mm. You think that would have been an obvious direction to go with, you know, this the show? I'm not sure what the mindset was putting on cbs or, or getting cbs to have it but i know their production costs will be less in season two because they moved the production to vancouver i believe which is always and that's where the other shows are produced and filmed also at least legends of tomorrow and the flash i'm not sure about arrow yeah arrow is too because remember the, too. the mansion that oliver queen's family lives in is also the x mansion oh yes from the x yes, movies that's all in vancouver and that'll be another crossover down the road too X-Men and Arrow. <laughs> X-Men and Arrow, yes. That's a whole different thing. So Yeah, so I think the, the filming of the first season was actually in like Los Angeles, where it's obviously more expensive. And I'm really glad that there was some fan outcry to save Supergirl and, and really get the CW to pick up the show. So it's one of those situations you don't see that often with TV and fans where you know there wasn't enough fan support to get it moved and to keep it going. Yeah, moved to a, a different network. And even you know during this summer... On the CW, when they were replaying season one episodes of Supergirl, it's very odd to see a recent CBS rerun air on another network. So, I mean, this is a very unique situation, but I'm glad it happened this way. Yeah, there's no, seemed to be no contention. Usually you see that between networks, you know, we're not going to give up the rights to this or vice versa or whatever. It seemed to go pretty smoothly and everyone is willing to just move it over and no fighting. So that was, that was a nice, uh, nice change in, in Hollywood. Now let's get a little background on the character of Supergirl. This this was actually pretty funny. Uh, the character of Supergirl was created by Otto Binder and designed by Al Plastino in 1959. But she actually did have a comically terrible start before that, uh, although it's, it's technically not her, so I'll explain. Uh, in the story featured in Superman number 123 that was August 1958, 
Jimmy Olsen uses the power of a magic totem to wish a Supergirl into existence to help Superman. She had note that this is Super Dash Girl. <laughs> yeah, a Supergirl. She had blonde hair, she had the traditional Supergirl blue and red costume, uh, but unfortunately, she just keeps getting in Superman's way. She's a constant nuisance, and she ends up being fatally injured trying to protect Superman from a kryptonite meteor. So, she's in agony, and to put her out of her misery, Jimmy wishes her out of existence. And uh, that was the end of the prototype Supergirl. Yeah, and it's interesting that they say also that this is actually kind of a marketing tool, or I guess a marketing barometer by DC, to see how audiences would react to having a, a female counterpart to Superman. Yeah, they were just trying um, to test the waters and see what, what fans thought. And apparently it was enough uh, positive feedback to flesh out the story of Supergirl without the dash. Uh, but I just thought it was funny, you know, Jimmy Olsen. It's like, <laughs> typically a, a 50s cornball story, you know, where he uses a magic totem to wish this Supergirl into existence. It's like, well, that is so lame. But I don't know. <laughs> of all the things he could wish for, he yeah. wishes for another superhero. It's, it's typical Jimmy Olsen. So it had a positive reaction from readers, and less than a year later, Action Comics number 252, Kara Zor-El made her debut, this time with the more fleshed-out backstory of being Superman's cousin who survived the destruction of Krypton by entering the Argo City in the Survival Zone. And Kara was introduced to the world as Supergirl a little later in Action Comics number 285. That was February 1962. So she was there for a little bit, and then she wasn't really fully known as Supergirl until uh, 1962. Uh, and her, her debut story is typically pretty similar to what we see in this episode, with some minor alterations here and there. Um, like you mentioned, she was this survivor of Argo City in the original action comics from, you know, the, in the 200s around that area. 285 was another one, like you said, I think that's what you mentioned before, right? 285, 285 is the one where she yeah. be became actual Supergirl. The, I think yes. the cover Superman's flying hand in, you know, holding hands as they're going through the city streets as they're being cheered, you know? It's her big coming yes. out party. It's like a, tape, a tinker tape parade sort of thing. Yeah. So very similar, you know, it really gets into more of this, her, her parents, Zor-El, uh, Jor-El's brother, and basically it talks more about this Argo City. Argo City was also destroyed, long story short, and she was sent to Earth in a rocket, just like Kal-El was. That was the original biography. There was an updated biography that's more similar to the TV series. This is going back to the 2004 Superman Batman series. Mm-hmm. Which is very good, by the way, if anybody wants to see it. And I actually had this issue. Issue number eight talks about, again, how she's the daughter of Zor-El. But in this one, she was sent to Earth when uh, she's a teenager to watch over Kal-El. But she basically gets sidetracked, just like the TV show, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Her pod gets sidetracked, and Kal-El gets to Earth first, and is a lot older by the time she arrives. Where she's like a teenager, and he's, you know, in his 20s at this point. And uh, also, if we fast forward a few more years, 1984, there was a feature film entitled Supergirl uh, that had Helen Slater in the title role playing Kara Zor-El, and it received extremely bad reviews. And yes. even though it technically was canon with the Christopher Reeve films, it, Warner Brothers has never to this day included it in any Superman box set. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've never seen it before. I don't even know where I could find a copy at this point. I'm sure they're out there, but I've I just heard negative things about it. 
Yeah, um, it, it it actually had Mark McClure reprising his role as Jimmy Olsen, so it had the same Jimmy uh, Olsen. Interesting. It, it definitely was part of that, I guess you could call it a shared universe at the time, although they really weren't focusing on doing that with movies back then. But that movie freaked me out as a kid. Oh my goodness. I don't, again, I have to check that one out, but they're really trying to play on the whole Superman, Christopher Reeve Superman series at the time. I'm sure they're hoping to get some spin-off of that. And it's interesting, I remember seeing, um, I don't know, I couldn't find the exact reference to this, but the first episodes, it might actually be Action Comics 285 or somewhere around there, where Kara comes to Earth. It's really funny how Superman treats her, and it really shows the whole 60s male ego type trip mentality, where, you know, of course, he was adopted by the Kents, as a baby, of course, as we know the Superman story. Kara came as a teenager, arrives, and he sends her to an orphanage. That's where Superman drops her off. And is I've seen the scenes before. I've never saw the issue, but you know that's her secret identity. She's going to be going. She's not going to be placed with a family anywhere. She's going to go to an orphanage. Over an orphanage. Wow, that's really quite funny. The later origin stories place her, and actually her name is Linda Danvers. As we see that, her name is very similar. Is also Danvers in, in the TV series, Kara Danvers. There's also some other iterations going into, which will have that take forever to go over all the infinite universes and infinite multiverse-type versions of Supergirl. But there are a number of other Supergirls, most notably, I think, Power Girl. Mm-hmm. She's been around since, you know, her first appearance was 1976. Krypton 2, yeah, she was from Earth 2. The Earth 2 Supergirl. Also, Kara Zor-El was her name. Physically quite a bit different. I'm not going to go into how. Type in Power Girl and Google if you want to see for yourself. <laughs> um, but, you know, different type of character. But still Kryptonian, still same powers, just different background, the whole Earth 2 type thing. So they did, you know, change it up quite a bit, her story, and, you know, basically the same through all, all the arcs, I would say. So now we fast forward to 1985, just coming off the bad reviews of the Supergirl movie, and DC really now wanted to reestablish Superman as the last son of Krypton, as originally intended. And at this point, they had Superman, Supergirl, they even had Crypto the Superdog, they had the criminals from the Phantom Zone, they had so many Kryptonians out there, so they really wanted to pare those Kryptonians down, so Kara was killed off in Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7. Very uh, iconic cover. Yes. Everybody, I think, who's interested in comics has seen that one. Basically, she's dead on the cover. <laughs> yeah, Superman's holding her. Yeah. And so a few characters took up the mantle in the meantime, but but Kara actually was not fully brought back into continuity until 2004. That was that, you know, Superman-Batman series, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, Supergirl was relaunched as part of DC's New 52 in 2011. So she's been gone for quite a long time, but now she she's definitely back, and it seems here to stay. And we should also mention that she was also in Smallville. Um, oh, okay, yeah. In the seventh season of Smallville, and she basically had the same role, Clark's cousin or, you know, Kal-El's cousin. Same thing, her, her stasis chamber arrives, she adjusted on Earth, that's the whole whole deal, so. Yeah. Um, they really didn't go to, I don't recall, I, remember, I haven't seen Smallville in a while, I don't think they really had her as much as Supergirl in it. Just more of her trying to adjust on Earth, if I recall. Well, with all of that backstory, we should just get right into it, because there's there's a yeah, lot there's in so here. so much. So we're, we're not going to give you too many real spoilers in case you're just wanting to start out on Netflix. In fact, I only just watched the pilot uh, to start, and there's a ton of Easter eggs in here as well, and comic references, so we, we have a lot to get to. Yes. 
So we start the episode with, with a cold open on the dying planet Krypton as the infant, Kal-El, is jettisoned in a pod by his parents. And I love the baby Superman still got the little spit curl, so we know of it's Of course, him. yeah, because <laughs> we'd be confused if not, you know. And so in voiceover, Kara Zor-El explains to us that even though the story of her cousin is well known, of course, uh, hers isn't. As Kal-El is fired off into space from a tunnel, we see another pod line up behind it getting ready for takeoff. And in this one, we see Kara as a child being brought over by her parents. Kara's father tells her that her pod's coordinates are linked with Kal-El's, and she tells them that she is not afraid. We learn that Kara's mission is to look after her baby cousin on Earth, and her mother tells her that because of the Earth's yellow sun, she will have great powers and do extraordinary things. Her capsule will make a long journey, most of which Kara will be asleep for, and Kara cries as she hugs her mother goodbye, saying that she will not fail. And as her pod is launched, uh, kind of just in time as the planet Krypton explodes, a shockwave emanates from the exploding planet. And uh, Kara tells us that the, the shockwave sent her into a place called the Phantom Zone, a, a region in space where time doesn't pass. A lot going on there. Kind of makes you wonder why they couldn't make a pod that can hold two people. I know. You know, it's like they had to launch one after another. It's like, can't you just find one that's, you know, they can go together and this whole thing would have been avoided, but I guess not. So 24 years later, when Kara finally crash lands on Earth, she is about 13, but her cousin, Kal-El, has now grown up to become Superman, the most powerful man in the universe. And uh, it's kind of interesting how they filmed this. We next see Superman in silhouette because he's, you know, backlit by the sun. And he walks over to Kara's crashed pod and extends his hand to help her out. Yeah, and it's, it was interesting because they really, I saw a lot of press on when this first came out last October. They, they didn't want to have the focus be on Superman yeah. as much. They wanted to be on Supergirl. So that's why and we might have heard, and spoiler, anybody who doesn't want to hear this, they're going to be actually bringing Superman into the second season as a, as a main character. Or, you know, a re reoccurring character. Yeah, I think it's but, kind of just a character arc for a couple episodes. Yeah, but, you know, in season one, just as a little, again, a spoiler, they did have conversations, and there were flashes of Superman in various episodes, like we see here, where it's kind of in silhouette, or it's from far away, you see Superman in certain episodes. Or, basically, the most common one is Kara chatting with Clark over the computer in Instant Messenger. I think it's the second episode she, or one of the first episodes, she actually communicates with Clark through traditional means mm. as Clark, not Superman, obviously. So there was references. Um, there's actually one episode later in the season where you see Clark is on a like a, a medical table, mm -hmm. and you see his boots, and that's all you see. <laughs> you see like the traditional Superman boots. So they really wanted to focus more on the Supergirl part of things. I liked how they did this. I thought that was pretty neat. I, I thought it was pretty amazing that he got there and he must have heard it coming or seen it coming or something because he was at that pod in, you know, seconds flat after it crashed. Yeah, it yeah, he was the, right there. Ripped the lid right off, you know. It's interesting about the uh, reboot in uh, 2004, the comics, the Batman-Superman one. Mm -hmm. I, I think, and because I had that issue, and I think Batman actually found her pod or like a Kryptonian ship almost. So he's the one that actually found it. And Superman had to become later on and help Batman out because, you know, he was overwhelmed by Kara, who was just speaking Kryptonian and, you know, didn't know where she was and was confused. So huh. he, I don't know, Clark must have been in the right place at the right time to see her, her pod crash. 
that's funny. Yeah, that that brought up another good point though about that Kryptonese language. It's not really what they're speaking here, although we we do see it in writing, but we we really hear them speaking in English. You know, we'll, we'll get more into that, but that that's kind of a, an interesting thing too. Yeah, she's able to pick it up pretty quickly. And just a side note, any Kryptonese symbols are the same symbols in that were in Smallville. Okay. And I, I believe the comic book. I mean, there is a known written, you know, Kryptonian language that's out there. It's sure. all the same. They, they kept it consistent between the various mediums. It's like a Klingon, you know, it's like a already set. Yeah, exactly. So Kara next tells us that her cousin wanted her to have the same safe human type childhood that he did. So he placed her with an adoptive family, the Danvers who are scientists who once helped him understand his abilities. So we see Superman walking hand-in-hand with Kara as he brings her to the Danvers family at their beautiful seaside home. They live in a nice place. I believe they live on Cape Cod. (laughs) That's not canon, but that's my thought. Sure. That looks like Falmouth to me. I don't know. (laughs) So, and as a big nod to fans, this this really uh, was pretty funny. The Danvers couple, which I believe they're named Jeremiah and Eliza in this series... Yes. They are played by Dean Kane and Helen Slater. Dean Kane, if no one knows, was also Superman and Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which yeah, was in the mid-90s. 1993, and Helen Slater was in that terribly reviewed Supergirl 1984 movie. Yeah. But so that's we have great. two Superman alums. That's a great show also, Lois and Clark, if you haven't watched it. It's kind of more sappy version of Superman, Oh yes, I would say. Uh, it's more of the love story, again, Lois and Clark. But Dean Cain does play Superman in it, so it is, does it interesting. I would rate him probably the fourth or fifth best Superman. <laughs> I don't know all my ratings, but that's why I, I kind of place him. Okay. And now, in the comics, don't the Danvers have a different name? Isn't it like Fred and Sylvia or something? Yeah, I'm not sure what their her parents' name is. Just I know the last name was consistent. So also looking down from a bedroom window is the Danvers' older daughter, Alexandra, or Alex, And uh, the character of Alex Danvers was created just for the show. She never did appear in the comics. Correct. It was more of a, you know, Kent situation, I believe, in the the comics where only child's ordeal. Yeah. So as Superman flies away, Kara now tells us that her cousin didn't need her protection, so she no longer had a mission. So she decided that even though she had all of the same powers as Superman, the best thing she could do with her life is just try to fit in, because as she puts it, Earth didn't need another hero. Now... We have to pause for a moment. Me, as someone that's just a Marvel fan primarily, I barely read DC Comics. When I hear Danvers, the first thing I think of is Miss Marvel, or Captain Marvel now, whose real name is Carol Danvers. So when I think Kara Danvers, Carol Danvers, I I had no idea that all of these years, these two had similar names. Yeah, I didn't put two and two together either on that, because again, I'm not much of a Marvel fan. So, you know, that's that's interesting. So it's like we were talking about earlier, Supergirl as Kara Danvers wasn't introduced until 1962. Then Carol Danvers was not introduced in the comics until 1968. And in this case, she was just kind of a normal human character, kind of in the background. She was an officer in the Air Force in the comics. Mm-hmm. And it, it very well could have been the case that her name was chosen as a nod or a tribute to Supergirl. Yeah. You know, even though Marvel and DC were rivals, sometimes you would get these kind of parallel characters, not really meant to take a swipe at anybody or to copy anybody, but hey, you know, just kind of a tip of the cap type thing. So Carol Danvers seemingly died, and she was gone for years out of the comics. 
but they resurrected her years later as Ms. Marvel. This was Marvel Comics' new super strong flying female superhero, uh, who now in, in the comics continuity is known as Captain Marvel. Maybe this was a loving tribute, or maybe this was Marvel's way of saying, hey, this is our Supergirl, but it's hilarious that now DC and Marvel, starting in, I guess, like 1972 or so, both had these flying super girls. One was the real Supergirl, one was Ms. Marvel, and th this was around for years, the Cara Danvers, Carol Danvers similarities, but now these similarities are so much more amplified because of the success of the Supergirl TV show and Marvel's plans for a Captain Marvel movie. So we're going to be hearing a lot about the similarities between Kara and Carol Danvers for the next few years. Yeah, and I, I think it's, I don't know if it's intentional like you mentioned, but um, or if it's just a, a nod or homage to that character. I think it's a little of everything, to be honest with you. They're mm. trying to feed off each other and get the audience to not get confused, but to kind of, you know, it's like a Cold War sort of situation. Go back and <laughs> forth and make sure they're they're matching with the same same weapons, I guess you can say. I never knew that about Miss Marvel. Actually, it's the same kind of situation they had with Wiz Comics back in the day with Superman and uh, Shazam. Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Which is actually tied into that whole story as well. I didn't want to get into it because it just further complicates it. But yeah, basically Marvel Comics had to keep coming out with a, a new Captain Marvel just so they could hold on to that license because they, they did buy that up. And so yep. that's why we do have more Captain Marvel. This time it's Carol Danvers. She's going to be in the movies. She's got comics out. She's a big part of Civil War II right now. And yeah, that that was a subject of litigation back in the day between Fawcett Comics and DC. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, it was an interesting time. Very interesting to read about on that sort of stuff, and especially Captain Marvel, the whole Shazam thing, which is very interesting to make their own Superman. But and then of course now he's in the DC universe, which is interesting too. <laughs> yes. And just to give listeners another example of something similar to this, I, I was thinking of Deathstroke, the Terminator, who actually appeared in the Arrow TV series. Yes. His name is Slade Wilson, and now, with the movies, you know, we see more of Deadpool, whose real name is Wade Wilson, and that was very much intentional. Yes, yeah, that was, there was nothing unintentional about that. <laughs> so, this happens. Sometimes it's jabs at the competitor, sometimes, like we said, it's kind of a, a nod to the other big comics publisher. Yes. So, back to the episode, we now cut to Kara. She's now older, played by Melissa Benoist. Walking down a busy street in National City, we see she's bumping into people, she's holding a phone, she's trying to order tickets for the musical Wicked, she's trying to balance an order from a coffee shop. She is taking on a very mild-mannered persona, of course, like Clark Kent. Uh, adding to that effect, we see that she's wearing glasses and a gray sweater, she kind of has her hair tied back. Very unassuming. Yes. She pulls it off well, as we're going to see her as Supergirl. You know, I think everybody kind of snickers at the whole Clark Kent being Superman and how people not know he's the same person. Maybe it's, it's easier for a female to pull this off. Of course, we see whenever we see Kara as, you know, working girl Kara, I guess you could say. she's always, Her hair is always in a ponytail with these glasses on. So it's very easy to see her as, a, as different and not the same person as Supergirl. Yes. Has her hair falling loose, no glasses, more confident type of look. So Kara walks by the Catco skyscraper as she tells us that she works for Catco Worldwide Media, the online and print empire run by Cat Grant, played by Callista Flockhart. Yes. Now, just a little background on Cat Grant. 
She first appeared in The Adventures of Superman number 424, that was in January 1987, and in her early form, she was a gossip columnist for the Daily Planet. There was actually some brief romantic involvement with Clark Kent, and Jimmy Olsen did have uh, a crush on her. Uh, she, she went on to work at a news station, became host of the Cat Grant Show, and when Lex Luthor became president, she served as his press secretary. And when he was impeached, she then moved to Los Angeles to work for a newspaper called the Los Angeles Tattler. Yeah, there, there's a, a basically a Cat Grant in most of the TV series. I think there's a Cat Grant in Smallville. I know there's one of Lois and Clark. Playing the, the gossip columnist sort of person, like you mentioned. And This is interesting that in this iteration, she has her own media empire. Kind of went up the ladder quite a bit. She's never really, if, if I remember correctly, besides the comics where she's a press secretary, never really had that sort of fame mm-hmm. or that prestige as owning her own media company so this is definitely a different spin on things for her character yeah definitely an ambitious character so they probably just moved that forward and you know had her move up a few stages to this point i guess yeah but definitely somebody that always has worked in media in the comics and other properties yes yeah definitely a well-known name so kara tells us that cat's the most powerful woman in national city at least for the next few days and uh, as she enters the office we see her co-worker Winslow Shot Jr., of course, we don't know his name is that yet. We just know him as Win at this point. Yes. He tells her about a robbery in which the criminal was described as having horns. Uh, Win believes it because he very much believes in aliens and that they're among them, and he even contributes to a website devoted to supposed alien activity, and Kara you know, just laughs it off, saying, you know, there's no such thing as aliens. Although... Everyone knows about Superman, that's why I didn't quite get that. Yeah, it's interesting how they explain where he's from. They know that there's other life on other planets, obviously, or, or at least Krypton. Yeah. And I don't know how she could be denying, but it's, it's interesting. Now, Sean, you watched the, the entirety of season one. This criminal having horns, is this a reference to anybody we'll see later, or is this a, just kind of a throwaway line? I think it's a throwaway line. I don't, and I could be wrong, because, you know, there was a number of episodes... I don't recall anyone who had horns. Okay. I, I remember having DC trading cards, and there was some villain with two big horns, but, I, I mean, that's pretty common. So I wasn't yeah. sure if this was a reference to somebody. It, it very well may be. I just didn't find out who it was. It was def- nothing I saw that showed up in, in the rest of the season, I don't believe. Now, at this point of the show, we don't know he's Winslow Shot Jr. Uh, in the comics, if you're familiar, Winslow Shot might ring some bells because that is the name of the villain known as Toy Man. Yeah. And uh, in fact, if you pause in this office scene, you can see a number of little toys and trinkets on Winslow's desk, kind of adding to fan speculation when this aired. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm not going to give anything away, but there is a plot point that appears (laughs) in the middle of the season about this. Yeah, so it it comes to a resolution. It is resolved, yes. So Wynn asks her out on a date, but Kara found an online date that night. Uh, According to an algorithm, this person is 82% compatible. And uh, even though Wynn works in IT, he says he doesn't believe that love can be found via an algorithm. He says it's just something that hits you, like wha-pow. You know, I believe Wynn is probably my favorite character in this show, Mm -hmm. after Supergirl, (laughs) because of his role of an IT person. I I think he's... I feel bad for him throughout the series, as we'll see, uh, (laughs) if you continue watching. Because he has this love for Kara, obviously. He wants, he has an attraction towards her. And it's just not... She's, he's in the friend zone with Kara, let's put it that way. 
Just then, Kara's super hearing detects Cat Grant's complaining as her private elevator reaches their floor, and she warns the office as the elevator doors open, and, you know, Wynn is like, how do you do that? And uh, so they stand as Cat Grant enters the very busy office. She's complaining about the conditions of the elevator and canceling plans with her mother and therapist. And Kara's there following her, writing all of this down. This is a real uh, Devil Wears Prada vibe they're going for here. Yeah, yeah. Respected and feared uh, boss. So Kat tells Kara that she's prepared a list of National City Tribune employees to be terminated. And Kara speaks up, wondering why she's downsizing the newspaper when other papers, like the Daily Planet, are still successful. And so Kat coldly explains that Metropolis has a person who wears a cape and flies around performing heroic acts, and the Daily Planet puts this person on the cover 54% of the time. So obviously this is something Kat pays very close attention to, and she has definitely done the research. Yeah. She's definitely smart. She's not, she's, uh, like we talked about before, she's a, a businesswoman. She obviously is a hard worker. Uh, she built this, this company up and she's not a slouch and she, she knows what she wants. And I just think it's funny her relationship with her and Kara and how she never calls her by her correct name. It's always Kira, but never, never her correct name, which is a source of annoyance. One thing about her office, which cracks me up and it's kind of annoying to me, is all the TVs behind her, <laughs> all the different shaped TVs. I guess it's supposed to be a kind of, I don't know, art. But it would just seem like it's it's very non-functional to me. Because they're all different in boxes and, and, and rectangles. And I don't know, it just it doesn't seem like it would be a good a good way to get media. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I think the point is that she's, you know, it's a power play, basically, to have this in her office. So she tells Kira, as she calls her, that if she wants to save the Trib, she needs to find a hero. So we cut to Kara next entering the art department to retrieve layouts from the new art director, who's still unpacking his things, and Kara seems smitten when she gets a look at him. She's also surprised to see that he has a framed photo of Superman in flight, a photo which she explains won the Pulitzer Prize. It's explained that that was the first real photo of, of Superman, and he actually posed for that shot because, as this person says, he guesses he likes him. So Kara puts two and two together and realizes that this new art director is none other than Jimmy Olsen. Of course, he corrects her, no, it's James Olsen, because Jimmy is reserved for his mom and the big guy. Yeah, so this is an interesting casting choice for Jimmy Olsen. McCad Brooks plays Jimmy Olsen in Supergirl, and it's not the traditional Jimmy Olsen we're used to seeing in the comics or other series. Basically because this James Olsen is African-American. Um, where we typically see Jimmy Olsen as a, you know, freckle-faced redhead kid, basically, long story short. Kind of, you know, with a bow tie and uh, holding his camera on his neck. So a different direction they went with Jimmy Olsen in um, the series, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's just different and, and interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting twist when he introduced himself. Kara asks what Superman is like in real life, and, and James says he's everything you want him to be and more, and he gives her the framed print of the photo to keep, and he asks who she is, and Kara kind of nervously stammers through an introduction, kind of wondering what he really meant by that, and he, he gets a close look at Kara's face, and he tells her that there's a slight resemblance to Superman, which, you know, Kara nervously denies, but that's, that's pretty funny, you know, you were talking about... Uh, just minus the glasses, kind of stupid that no one re really knows that Clark Kent is Superman and no one will, will know that Kara is Supergirl. But Jimmy Olsen kind of is like, yeah, I've seen I've seen it all. And yeah, I, I definitely see a resemblance here. Yeah, it's kind of a, 
an old crap moment for her that she's recognized at this point. But foreshadowing what's to come, definitely. So as Kara leaves, James has to remind her to take the layouts. She's so flustered. And as she walks out, she whispers to herself, Wapow. So kind of indicating there might be love interest there. So we next cut to Kara's apartment as Kara's big sister Alex stops by to help her pick out clothes for that date that she's going to go on. Alex is very busy. She has to be on a plane bound for Geneva in two hours. And we see that Kara and Alex have maintained a pretty close relationship over the years. Alex is even aware of Kara's powers, which, you know, as mentioned in this scene, are the same as Superman's. Although we learn that she hasn't tried flying in years. So again, she wants to fit in. Hasn't really tried to even use her powers, even, you know, by herself. Yeah, and just the fact that she, from the beginning of the, of the episode, she thinks that Superman's enough, and she doesn't need to put on a cape either, and she just can live a normal life, as, as normal as she could possibly get it. So Kara confides in Alex that she's frustrated with her current situation, that all she's doing is fetching layouts and getting coffee, and doing all this stuff for Cat Grant isn't really helping her make a difference, and Alex tries to convince her that she wanted to be normal, and having a crappy boss and nothing to wear is what normal looks like. So there, there's a, a funny foreshadowing moment here. Kara is presented with a choice of blouses, pink or blue, and Kara, of course, chooses blue, which Alex says is her color. Yep. So she hugs Kara goodbye and quickly leaves to catch her flight. So we cut to that evening as Kara is on her date at the club, and I like where he's like, oh, where are you from? And she's like, oh, up north. <laughs> uh, this guy ends up being a real sleaze. He leaves the table to answer a text, and then he's asking the waitress for the check along with her phone number. And of course, Kara, with her super hearing, can hear all of this going down. Just looks disgusted, yeah. Yeah. So things immediately get worse as Kara looks over to a TV to see the breaking news that National City Airlines Flight 237 bound for Geneva is suffering engine trouble and circling the city. And Kara runs outside to see the plane with an engine on fire, losing altitude as it flies by nearby buildings. And this is just a great sequence. This, this is the type of an action scene that a CBS production can afford. Yeah, this, this was awesome. This is one of the best sequences I've seen in a long time on a Superman production. So yeah, and by the way, this whole upcoming plane scene, this is a reference to John Byrne's Superman reboot. This was a comic story called Man of Steel, and Superman first makes himself known to the world by saving Lois Lane from a plane crash. Uh, that actual scene from the comic, it's referenced much later in this very episode by James Olsen. And if it seems familiar, it's also the same comic book scene that's referenced in the 2006 movie Superman Returns, that failed reboot with Brendan Routh. But James was referring to the Superman plane scene in the comic, not the movie, so it gets a little confusing. Yes, yeah. But we see uh, at this point, Kara runs outside. I thought the x-ray vision scene was pretty cool. Yeah, that was great. Which is actually, you know, the effect of her going through the building and going right into the cabin where her sister is, is you know, comforting someone else. I thought that was a really nice uh, use of that scene. Kind of reminds me of what they, how they did X-ray vision in Man of Steel, the movie. Mm -hmm. Batman vs. Superman also. The same kind of effects, the weird X-ray type of effects. is very similar. Yeah, and I heard even the sound of her using her powers, like, in that way, is the same that's used in Smallville. It is, yeah. Same, same X-ray sound. So Kara runs down an alleyway and she tries to fly for the first time in years. And it's kind of funny, she doesn't quite get it at first. She goes up a little bit and then comes back down. And then on the second attempt, she speedily takes off into the air. 
Yeah, so he's able to pick it up. It's like riding a bicycle, I guess. <laughs> I guess. You pick it right back up. <laughs> so she flies right up to the plane as another one of the engines catches fire. Passengers are told to brace for impact. And just a great action scene. We see one of the burning engines goes right into Kara. She just kind of like deflects it as it bursts in front of her and onto her. She tries to stabilize one of the wings. And <laughs> Alex looks out of her window and is surprised to see her sister holding onto the wing. Yeah. Like William Shatner in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> the gremlin over the <laughs> So Kara next flies under the nose of the plane. She's pushing with all of her might. She's kind of leveling off the plane's descent. Just as it's now about to hit a bridge. You get a funny moment where she's like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> now, this suspension bridge, it's kind of hard to explain, but it has two triangular frames. So it barely has a space that the plane can actually get through. So Kara's screaming as she's grabbing one of the wings and she's guiding the plane kind of sideways through it, basically sparing the lives of all those that are on the bridge in their cars. Now, like, the effects as she's pushing the plane or turning it, because she does twist it yeah. to get through the bridge, the opening, like you mentioned, how she puts her, her fist go right into the metal. I think that's a cool effect. Yeah. So she's not holding on to it, but she's reaching right into the thing and grabbing a piece of the plane as she, as she moves it and dumps into the river. Yeah, to her, it's like holding fabric. It's a crumples great around her hands. Really good job with the effects. She does uh, guide the plane through the bridge down onto the water below, making Kara Zor-El and Sully Sullenberger the only two to successfully land a plane <laughs> that way. Sully didn't do it through a bridge, though, so... No. <laughs> so, at this point, the passengers now take out their phones. They're snapping pictures of Kara standing on the wing. It's a nice spotlight effect. You know, I don't know if it's a helicopter nearby or what, but... That's why I figured it was a helicopter, you know, flying around. Yeah. And so, she takes off into the night. And so from here, we finally cut to the Supergirl logo, and we get a commercial break. So at this point, why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves, we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Oh man, I'm so thirsty. Hey, hey, did somebody say thirsty? Hey, Zipperoni. That's right. How about a zippy tropical punch? Why, sure. Uh-oh. Dad! Oh. Uh. He's not breathing. Dad. <laughs> Somebody call an ambulance. Ugh, there's blood everywhere. Um... What just happened? Everybody clear up. Hey, get back, get back. It's that little furry green guy. Don't let him out. Uh, no, I, I, I should probably be going. How'd this happen? Uh, uh, um. You murderer! And we're back. So when we return, Kara is eating pizza as she watches coverage of her heroic rescue on the local news. And she's delighted to hear herself described as a guardian angel. Yeah, and it's interesting in this newscast also, it's a little bit more trivia. The bridge that the plane went through was the Auto Binder Bridge. Yes. So, you know, going, again, a little Easter egg to the uh, one of the creators of Supergirl. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of that in here. Yes. But yeah, Kara is outraged when uh, the correspondent at the Auto Bender Bridge calls her possibly a human wrecking ball, describing all the damage that was done to it. It's yes. pretty funny. It's kind of a reoccurring theme to the to the rest of the season in various ways. Yeah, a lot of collateral damage. Yes. So Alex next shows up at Kara's apartment. Kara excitedly gives her a bone-crunching hug. I thought that was a pretty funny little detail. Yep. And Kara's ready to pour drinks and celebrate. You know, and she's wondering what exciting new turn her life has taken, but Alex is not so happy. You know, I was, I'm watching this, I'm like, hey, she saved your life. You know, be a little happy. Yeah, yeah. Interesting to note that Kara has Johnny Walker Blue Label in her, her apartment. She's <laughs> drinking that, which is quite an expensive Johnny Walker. Good taste she has. And you wonder if it even has an effect on her. Probably not, no. So Alex is telling Kara, well, you expose yourself to the world and you can't take that back. And Kara doesn't really want to. She She's always felt the need to help people. And as she mentions, she didn't travel 2,000 light years just to be an assistant. So here in this scene, they part on not so happy terms. Alex kind of says, you know, don't say I didn't warn you. And Kara's just like, all right, I need to go to bed. I carried a plane on my back. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to the next morning as the entire city is now abuzz about the story of the mystery flying woman who saved the plane. Uh, we cut to the Catco building. We see Kara in her same morning routine. She's entering the crowded office with the order from the coffee shop. And everyone is just enthralled with this story on the news. And Wynn asks Kara how anyone can take this mystery woman seriously when she can't even come up with a suit. <laughs> Again, referencing that he knows about Superman but still doesn't believe in aliens, which is interesting. Yeah, it is kind of funny. But he's he's special. He's different. Yes, different. <laughs> So Cat Grant briefs her crew. She says, you know, this was the biggest event in the city's history, and they have no exclusive of any kind. And all they have is her basic measurements from low-res photos, and they're not even sure what a real hair color is. I like how James Olsen says, well, you know, she might have darker-looking hair because of soot from the plane exhaust. You can tell he's someone that has been around this type of situation many times in Metropolis. Yes. And Kat asks James now if there's any connection between this mystery woman and his friend Superman. He he so very much admires Superman. He says, well, you know, if she if she is related, then she's a hero. Saving people is what they're born to do. And, you know, he even says, yeah, she'll be back. In this look of admiration, so she dreamily looks at him. Kara looks at James <laughs> while he's giving his little speech. Yeah. So Kat wants more. She wants exclusive photos, videos, interviews, anything. And she dismisses everybody saying, you know, go get me that girl. And uh, as they all leave, this is that scene where Jimmy kind of makes that remark to Kara about how saving a plane was Superman's first heroic act too. Yes. So with all of the attention and the buzz going on, Kara is now just overwhelmed. She's kind of like hyperventilating. So she asks Wynn if she can talk to him on the roof. So we cut now to the helicopter pad at the top of the Catco building, and Kara is nervously asking Wynn if she can trust him with a secret that only three other people in her life know. Now, I was trying to count these three other people. I'm thinking her parents and Alex, and Superman makes four. Yeah, I don't know if she counts Superman in there I, I, for some reason. I think it's just probably her parents and Alex, I'm guessing. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Wynn's like, oh, okay, you're a lesbian. And he says that's great news because it explains why she's not into him. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a funny scene. <laughs> it's like, of course. So Kara clarifies, no, no, I'm the woman that saved the plane. And Wynn kind of laughs her off. So Kara immediately settles it by uh, walking over to the edge of the roof and just dropping backwards. And then Wynn screams. She flies into the air above him, lands back on the roof, and 
You know, that's proof enough. He's like, you're her! I thought this was a pretty funny exchange. And the fact that she trusts him so much, you know what I mean? To uh, be able to trust him with this ma- massive secret. Yeah, I was not expecting that. One of, one of her best friends, even though she has no real romantic interest in him. So things are looking pretty good for Kara. So of course that has to change. So we next cut to a gas station diner as a large, imposing man wearing a hat. He, sit, he sits at a counter. He's kind of scratching into the wood with his fingernails, if you notice. Yeah, yeah. He's not getting his coffee because everyone in the diner is, of course, distracted by these news reports about the plane rescue. But this man is not so impressed. You can see why he's wearing a hat. Yes, yes, we'll see that very shortly. We cut to outside, and this man climbs onto the back of an oil tanker, climbs in, and it's his secret base of operations. He takes off his hat, and we see, like, a series of ridges along the top of his shaved head. Yeah. Kind of Klingon-esque. But reverse. (laughs) Wrong side of the head. So, on a monitor, we see another man asks, What happened with the plane, Vartox? You were ordered to bring it down. So, we get the character Vartox. Vartox. Now, are you familiar with Vartox, Sean? I am not, no. Kind of a weird line of trivia here, but if it wasn't for a movie in which Sean Connery was wearing a Speedo, we would not have this character today. Boy, I wish that movie didn't exist at all. (laughs) I know what movie you're talking about, I think. Yeah, just a little background now. He is a superhero, Vartox, who first appeared in Superman number 281. That was November 1974. And his design and name was inspired by the terrible Sean Connery movie, Zardoz. Yes, oh, that was horrible. Yes, in the comics, Vartox, he even has the red bikini bottoms and all, unfortunately. <laughs> of course, you can get away with it a little more in the comic books. But it's pretty funny to see the original design of Vartox. He looks just like Sean Connery. It's very funny. Mm. In the comics, Vartox isn't what we see in this show. He was a friend and equal to Superman. In the comics, Superman described him as a force for good in the universe when I was still just a super tot. His powers have been sometimes described as even greater than Superman's. He even has more abilities than Superman, like mind control, passing through objects, telekinesis. He can even give those powers to other people. And Vartox is from the planet Valeron, where he served as protector after his homeworld was destroyed, just like Superman with Krypton. There was even a storyline where... Superman and Vartox were rivals for the affections of Lana Lang. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, he had some adventures on Earth, but it seemed pretty friendly with Superman. So this version of Vartox is some sort of escaped Kryptonian criminal, which, considering the character's history, is kind of a real disappointment. Hmm. So probably because he wasn't a very well-known character. I mean, I, I never really heard of him myself. Yeah. This is how I can kind of play this off and just use the name, use the character, and make it, you know, whatever they want, basically. It'd be hilarious that to have Superman's buddy from Beyond the Stars come by and he looks like Sean Connery in a Speedo, just this weirdo that <laughs> comes down. <laughs> it would be pretty funny to have a character like that. Well, it's always season two. Maybe it's just a different Vartox. You never know. <laughs> so anyway, back to the episode. This Vartox explains that The trap worked with the bomb detonating because the DEO agents were aboard, but they didn't die because the female saved the plane. So this is our first mention of the DEO. Yes. So Vartox remarks that Zor-El saved his child before the destruction of Krypton, and the man on the monitor realizes that the female that saved the plane must be Allura's daughter, who is now evidently working with the humans. 
Uh, we also get a little more exposition here. For 12 years, they've been forced to hide in the shadows, but the general's arrival is imminent and nothing must interfere. So Vartox is now instructed to eliminate the human operatives, including this girl. I think Vartox's axe is pretty, pretty gnarly. Yeah, he picks up this weapon. He's saying, well, her death might be public and messy. And they're saying, well, human casualties are irrelevant. And yeah, he's, he's ready to do some slicing and dicing. Uh, he says that the, if this mystery girl is, in fact, the daughter of Allura Zorel, she will pay for her mother's debts. And so will her city, for some reason. I guess credit scores are serious business to Kryptonians. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we'll, we'll find out exactly what these debts are later on. And so with that, we cut to commercial. So when we return, we open on National City at night as Wynn and Kara work on a superhero suit for her. This is one of my favorite scenes in the series so far, and, and definitely in this episode. This whole superhero costume pick out. Uh, I've always, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed this scene. This is pretty funny. Now, Sean, as a IT professional yourself, does that qualify you to design dresses and uh, it costumes? Does, yes, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> I like, thought this was so funny that Wynn has this expertise. Sewing machines there. Yeah, like, apparently he's doing all the stuff himself. Very funny. I guess someone had to do it, you know? Yep. So the first suit is very skimpy. This is uh, something that Kara said she wouldn't even wear to the beach. It was like a skin-tight short shorts and, uh, you know, a little top. And these are basically references to other iterations of Supergirl's outfits. Yeah. I'm not sure what that one is referenced to, but that's what all these, these outfits we see. Uh, I like the line that Wynn says that you can tell her cousin that capes are lame. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, then he's like, wait, wait don't don't tell him that. Yeah, <laughs> goes goes back a little bit. That first kind of skimpier costume that she didn't like, yeah, that that's definitely, it, it had elements of other costumes that were in, actually introduced in the comics quite controversially. People didn't like, you know, the, the bare midriff and the hot pants. Those are all kind of recycled through. Uh, you'll also notice she has a headband. Yes. And that's uh, something that she wore in the 80s during the Crisis on Infinite Earths. So they, they try to put a couple of different elements from different costumes, kind of as a nod to the fans here. Yeah. But back to the scene, Kara next steps out in the more traditional Supergirl costume, blue top, red skirt. No cape. No cape yet, but uh, we're, we're definitely seeing her look shape up at this point. So Wynn tells her, well, if you want to be a superhero, you need some crime... So he hacked into the NCPD and discovered that a car chase is now in progress. And yeah, this is kind of a funny montage. She's like, yeah, I can do a car chase. She, uh, as you can see, the car chase is in progress. She, she's flying towards it and she <laughs> doesn't quite make the turn into uh, around the corner following the car. Yeah, it just goes like right into the dirt. <laughs> right into the dirt aside of an embankment, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Wynn makes a comment like, oh yeah, the cape makes it a little more aerodynamic. And uh, we cut back to the apartment. Now they hear a bank robbery is going on. Now, it sounds like they're saying it's on 6th and Spring or 6th and Sprang. It's hard to tell. I'm looking at right now at the... Um, the subtitles say Spring. Spring, yeah. But I I heard also, I've read in other sources that it may be Sprang. And if it is, it might be a reference to the artist Dick Sprang, who was better known for his work on Batman, but also did Superman 128, which was that issue I mentioned earlier where Jimmy Olsen wishes a Supergirl into existence. So this oh, okay. might be a little Easter egg. Maybe not. Might just yeah. be coincidental. So yeah, great scene where she thwarts some bank robbers here. And you can see Ike's shoes in this as she's walking. She has these red lace-up shoes. Yeah, and those are a reference to another costume. I believe that was the Matrix version yes. of... Supergirl? I believe so, I yeah. did read that, yeah. Yeah, a lot of nods here, too. Very subtle references. 
she's taking machine gun fire, which is, you know, kind of allays Wynn's uh, worries that she wouldn't be bulletproof. Yes, that is confirmed, fortunately. But her cape is now full of bullet holes, so he has to replace it with a stronger one. And uh, as he's explaining the change, Kara steps into the room, revealing a new addition to her costume, an S across the chest. Her family seal. Yeah, Wynn says, oh, it stands for super like your cousin. But Kara explains that it stands for the House of L. It's actually a symbol. And the symbol S not really being an S, but rather a Kryptonian coat of arms for the House of L, that dates back to the movie Superman 2. I believe that was like a Richard Donner innovation to the storyline. Yes. And that's, of course, carried over into Man of Steel, where they kind of, you know, have to rationalize why the Roman alphabet letter S is on this alien creature. So, yeah, it's a symbol. Man of Steel, they actually go and they, they mention that it, it's a symbol for hope also. That's what that Kryptonian S means. Oh, sure. Sure it yeah, does. So, yeah, it does. <laughs> so just then, they hear a call over the scanner about a four-alarm fire at the corner of Gates and Eigel. And, of course, these are more Easter eggs, uh, referencing Sterling Gates and Jamal Eigel, who worked on a more recent run of the Supergirl series. So a lot of, usually when you hear these proper names without context, it's usually an Easter egg. Yeah, they're putting some little hidden references in. So we cut to Kara speeding over, and as she flies towards the blaze, in the distance we see that she's shot by two glowing green darts. One near the collarbone and one in the stomach. Uh, obviously, reference to Kryptonite. Uh, mm. Who's doing it is what we'll we'll see soon. I wonder if they set the fire on purpose. D.E.O. You wonder. Yeah, seems like they might have. So she just drops right out of the sky, crashes on top of a truck, and we see a group of figures dressed in black holding these laser-sighted weapons walking towards her. Kind of blurry, and so we really don't know what's going on. We know Vartox is after her, so we kind of assume maybe it has something to do with that. But no, uh, we cut to Kara waking up on a white table, and she tries to move, but there's a man standing over her telling her that her glowing green shackles are made of a low-grade kryptonite. And you kind of have to explain why they, you know, what that was and why they would affect her, basically. Yeah. The radioactive parts of her planet would, you know, <laughs> would hurt her. So this man, this is our introduction to Hank Henshaw, which uh, if you read DC Comics, you're like, oh, Hank Henshaw, very interesting. But there, there's a lot going on with this character, but not so much yet in the series, so we, we don't have to really get into it yet. Yeah. More to but. come. But uh, a very shocking reveal here is he says, uh, you know, and I believe you already know Agent Danvers. And here we see Kara's sister Alex walk over, much to Kara's surprise. Didn't know she was a DEO agent. And it really kind of explains her concern before when she first confronted her about saving the plane. Yeah. So uh, things are starting to shape up a little bit. And remember, we heard the Kryptonian criminals mention DEO earlier. Here it's explained it stands for the Department of Extra Normal Operations. They monitor and protect the Earth from extraterrestrial presence and or invasion. And as Hank says to Kara, this means you. And uh, yeah, so they're in this base and he, he's walking Kara around, showing her around. They even have the pod that she crashed in. They keep it there as a reminder every day uh, of uh, the, the day that she crashed on Earth. So a little more backstory is given now to what we saw at the beginning of the episode. Uh, it's explained that Superman's arrival triggered the need for the DEO in a way of dealing with more aliens as they arrived. But once Kara showed up, Fort Roz. Yeah, and had this nice little flashback here of what Fort Roz looks like, and basically with the explanation that Kara's pod entered the Phantom Zone, pulled Fort Roz out with it. 
uh, when she escaped the Phantom Zone and hanged back towards Earth. Yeah, and, and Fort Roz is basically, yeah, like you said, this giant maximum security prison set up by the Kryptonians, shaped like two interlocking rings. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a nod to Superman, too, if you notice that Zod and the others were in these two sets of rings. So it kind of harkens back to that imagery, which is kind of clever. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of they're containing them. So they, they don't know how Kara got out of the Phantom Zone, but somehow it just towed this fort with them. And as a crash landed, it set free all of these powerful aliens inside. And in this flashback, we actually see Vartox as one of these that fled. Escaping the, yeah, the crashed uh, Fort Roz. So a lot of them have stayed hidden, but for some reason in the last year, many have emerged. Uh, Alex says they believe this is because they're planning something. They're just not sure what yet. Remember, we heard that that man on the monitor mentioned about the general's arrival. So they, they definitely are planning something. And kind of goes along to what's going to happen the rest of the season, too. So Kara's just kind of putting this all together in her head, like, oh, okay, the plane problems were no accident. They were trying to kill Alex and the other agents that were aboard that plane. So also in this scene, we see Hank walk by a wall of monitors, showing many of the faces of the alien convicts. Some appear alien, some kind of look human. So, you know, many of these characters might come into play in future episodes, but if you pause this scene and kind of look at the monitor in the middle of the bottom row, there is a brutish-looking alien with magenta-colored skin. Yes. And some fans have speculated that this might be the classic villain Despero, of course, minus the giant fin on the top of his head. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that does look like him. Could be. He could be like Dr. Zoidberg, where the fin on his head is retractable. <laughs> yeah, it goes <laughs> Yeah, you put it out for the picture. So Kara is very interested in helping, but Hank is uninterested in receiving that help. He says that she couldn't even prevent them from capturing her, so, you know, how is she going to help? They're trying to keep alien life in the dark, and as he mentions, nothing says cover operation like a flying woman in a red skirt. <laughs> so he's Hank is very snarky throughout this whole episode. A little jab, too, about her go, going to get coffee. That's how she can help. Yeah. So Kara's now getting all these feelings of betrayal about Alex and all of this was hidden. And not only that, you know, Alex was always trying to encourage Kara to keep her true self a secret. And, and Kara's figuring out why. And she even feels that Alex was probably just recruited because of her relationship to Kara. As Kara leaves, Hank tells Alex that even though she doesn't want to hear it, Kara is dangerous. And Alex sighs as we cut to commercial. So when we return, it's the next morning. Kara's back to the daily grind, getting off the elevator. She has Cat's coffee, and she's entering the office. And as she walks by TV, she notices that Cat Grant has dubbed National City's new female superhero Supergirl, or rather hashtag Supergirl, and it's catching on. Kara's not too happy about this. She's like, you know, we can't name her that. You know, kind of forgetting her place in this office. Cat kind of glares back saying, we didn't kind of loses that mild-mannered facade, and she immediately apologizes. But here we get this argument that Kara makes for the name Superwoman, saying that Supergirl is anti-feminist, it minimizes her importance, and Kat thinks that the girl part of the name is fine because, you know, hey, she's a girl, she's also a boss, and powerful, and rich, and hot, and smart. And at this point, she actually wants to fire Kara for that outburst. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, they had to put this scene in here because... This is a character from the 50s and, you know, has that name, girl, kind of diminutive, you know, really speaking about a woman. 
And so they kind of had to get around with, well, we're still keeping this kind of antiquated name and we kind of have to rationalize why, you know? So, okay, it's not even Kara's choice. They're kind of just totally copying to the idea that it isn't really the most PC name they could choose in this day and age. Yeah, it was kind of a nice little spinoff on uh, just the times we're living in. Yeah, it's Kat's choice and there's nothing Kara can do about it and it's catching on, so it's too late. So James Olsen interrupts Kara's termination and he makes up this story about, oh, well, uh, Kara didn't want to say anything, but she knows a, a teller at the National City Bank. And so he's saying that uh, Kara convinced this person to allow them to use a photograph she captured. And he presents her with a crystal clear image of Supergirl, the first of its kind. And so that was enough to allow Kara to keep her job. Kara is now kind of upset that James kind of fought her battle for her. She doesn't really want that to happen. But she's interrupted by a high-pitched communication. And this is from Vartox. He's broadcasting at 50,000 hertz, so she can only hear it. It's almost like a dog whistle communication. Yeah. And so basically, he gives her this challenge to meet him at the National City Power Plant, or this city will face the consequences. And uh, she's really in pain from hearing this. So she stumbles up to the roof. But when she hears Vartox refer to her as Daughter of Allura... She knows it's serious. She immediately takes off her glasses, tears off her office clothes, and flies to face him as Supergirl. So we now cut to Supergirl. She's flying over, landing at the power plant, scanning the area. She can't really see through the lead that's around the place, but she can hear a heartbeat. Yeah. And so Vartox jumps down behind her, and we get this fight. It's not good enough, though, because she yeah, tackles from, from behind. But <laughs> Yeah. And so uh, as they're fighting... We see that he does have that axe strapped to his back. And uh, we also get a little more communication here between the two. Uh, she asks how he knows her mother's name. He replies, you don't easily forget the name of the woman who condemned you to prison. And because he can't kill Allura, evidently killing Supergirl will have to do. So we get more fighting, pushing him through a concrete wall. She's kind of pleased with her ability to do that, this, doing this for the first time. But he grabs her by the throat. He's throwing her through walls. And, uh, you know, he's taunting her, saying fighting Superman would be an honor. She's just an exercise. It's really not looking good for Supergirl in this fight. Just kind of showing that she really doesn't have good hand-to-hand -hand combat skills. I mean, she's not trained to do that, which yeah. doesn't make an appearance in other episodes as the season goes on, too. Her learning how to fight. So there is one moment where Vartox throws the axe at her. He, he's not too good with his aim, but it grazes her arm, and she's shocked to see that it actually cut her. So just when things are looking bad and he's about to choke her with both hands, an explosion occurs behind him and we see this military helicopter swoop in and descending on a rope is Alex. And so the helicopter now pursues Vartox as he runs away and we cut back to the DEO base as now Alex is attending to Supergirl's wound. You know, she's really never felt pain before in her life. Kind of shocking. Yeah, apparently that axe is has a metallic property that can hurt her. You know, maybe it may have some kind of Kryptonian metal or something. Yeah. And it's a fragment of it is stuck in her arm. So when Alex pulls it out, it kind of heals instantly, which is pretty funny. Yeah. But they're able to do some analysis on that fragment. And that really helps them. It, it gives them a clue as to how to defeat Vartox. It, uh, Hank is actually happy uh, with this analysis. He kind of gives her like this sarcastic, oh, thanks, you did help. Picking a piece of metal shoved in her arm, yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Alex reveals uh, to Kara here that she did know Allura's history as the one that locked up the alien criminals and how they would love to get their revenge on Allura's daughter if they knew who she was. And that's why Alex felt that Kara should have never come out to the world as Supergirl. So dejected now, Supergirl walks away telling Alex, oh, you were right. The world doesn't need me. And we cut to commercial. So when we return, it's now nighttime in National City. Kara sits alone in the dark in her apartment. You know, she's kind of at her lowest point here. And uh, Alex knocks on the door asking if they can talk. Uh, another funny moment here where she's using her x-ray vision and looks through the door. And Alex is like, I know you can see me. <laughs> and uh, here they kind of have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Alex reveals she's kind of had this inferiority complex since Kara's arrival. You know, since they were kids. She could never compete with a, a super girl and was kind of happy when Kara decided not to use her powers because Kara feeling like less in a way made her feel like more. But Alex now has realizes that the world does need Kara. Yeah. And here we get this moment where Alex gives Kara this, I guess it's like a small obelisk. It's covered in this Kryptonese writing. And I guess it was packed in the pod that sent her to Earth. So they activate it, and we see from this small device, there's a projection of Allura. And she's telling her daughter, although she was sent to protect Kal-El, her destiny is not necessarily tied to that mission. She must always be true to herself. And that was kind of enough encouragement for her. And uh, now empowered and encouraged, Kara changes into her Supergirl costume and re-enters the DEO base with Alex. So yeah, it was just kind of funny to see Allura is actually speaking in English... And we know it's English because Alex kind of understands it as well. That's so Google Translate on it, I guess. I guess, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, it's, it's these uh, holographic devices appear in a lot of the, the Superman media as ways for them to communicate. We recognize the crystals from you know original Superman movies mm -hmm. as you know basically knowledge bases. Um, and this also comes into play more as we get into this this season about Aura's um, communicating with Kara. So of course. Now, with Kara back in the base, Hank's not too happy to see her, still doesn't want her help, saying he doesn't trust aliens. Remember that line? Yeah. But Alex says she does, and like her cousin, Kara was sent to, to Earth to help. And if Hank wants any more of Alex's help, well, he's gonna let Kara help fight Vartox. So just then, a DEO agent discovers Vartox's whereabouts. It's kind of stupid. It's, oh, he has a unique nuclear thumbprint in his axe, and they could... Detected, the metal, so, yeah, yeah interesting. So, like, okay. So anyway, basically, Vartox is heading towards the city. Now he's just fed up, and he's going to kill humans like he told Kara he was going to do. So Supergirl convinces Hank. She says, hey, I started this. Let me stop it. And Hank's reply, make sure you win. <laughs> so we cut to Vartox driving his empty oil tanker down a stretch of highway at sundown. Supergirl lands in front of him, just punches the front of the truck. Just flies out the it. windshield. I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> Along with his axe, conveniently right next to him. So Alex and Hank are kind of monitoring the situation from the base. It almost reminds me of the pilot of the Flash. You know, everyone's monitoring from a remote base. Well, superhero does the uh, the hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So now they begin to fight, and this time Supergirl seems to have a better grasp of her powers. Like she's flying and kicking, kind of countering his attacks. She's more confident this time. So we learn here that Vartox's axe is powered by a self-generating atomic charge. And if it's heated above 2,500 degrees, it will make it explosive. And Supergirl was told this, and she just has to find the right moment. 
at one point, they're just exchanging devastating punches. Supergirl is on her back. Vartox just punches her in the face, right into the pavement. Some brutal beating in this. Yeah. And Supergirl just says, all right, stop. I give up. And so Vartox is like, all right, well, give your mother my regards. And he swings the, his axe downward at her head. She grabs it, of course, at the last moment, stopping it right in front of her face. And Alex yells, Kara, do it now. And Supergirl uses her heat vision. Very cool effect. Axe. Yeah, it's the same effect, if I remember correctly, that's in um, Batman vs. Superman and also Man of Steel. But is it blue in those as well? I think so, yeah. I believe, if I remember correctly, it's blue. Okay. But it's definitely the effect of her eye, whole eyeball just coming out of her entire eye. I think that's yeah. the coolest part of it. So at first, it doesn't really seem to work. You know, she's really, we see it heating up a little bit, but not enough. And she's starting to lose confidence. Alex is reminding her, this is why you were sent to Earth. You have to believe in yourself. So she focuses even harder. And Vartok screams as the weapon explodes, sending him hurtling backwards. So badly hurt, he tells Supergirl, he's not the threat. She has no idea what's coming, takes a fragment of his axe, and stabs himself in the chest, ending his life. Mm. Evidently, uh, death is better than the punishment he would receive for a mission failure. Again, having that little teaser for future episodes. Yeah. So back at the DEO base, the agents cheer, except for Hank, who's like, oh yeah, she won this time. So before Hank leaves, Alex kind of is curious about something that was mentioned earlier. She asks if she was really just recruited because Kara was her sister. And Hank admits, yeah, she's why you got in. But you, referring to Alex, are why you get to stay. So, you know, Alex is happy to hear that. Yeah. So we cut to the next morning in National City. Kara's just showing up for another day of work. Same routine as always. And Wynn is asking about this alien rumor, this new one, about a female reptilian boxing match in the desert. So Kara says, oh yeah, she'll tell them all about it at their next crime-fighting lunch hour, in which Wynn evidently calls them the Super Friends. <laughs> I remember that, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, very funny reference. But Kara says, uh, we're not calling ourselves that. So running over to James Olsen, Kara asks if he would want to grab some lunch. And as he steps into an elevator, he tells her, oh, you must be hungry from fighting an axe-wielding alien, and says, meet me on the roof. And so Kara's kind of goofy smile turns into a look of serious concern. You know, how did James know any of that? So we cut to this moment on the roof back at the helipad, the helipad of secrets. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kara realizes that James knew her secret the whole time and kind of figures out, oh, wait a minute, Superman was the one that sent you to National City in the first place. And James admits, yeah, he was looking to expand his horizons, so as a favor, Superman asked him to expand them into National City, and at the same time, kind of keep a close eye on his cousin Kara. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, he has this, this really tight relationship with Superman, which I, I appreciate in this uh, show, that, you know, he's more of a, a peer to him than anything else, whereas in, you just get the feeling that, you know, Jimmy Olsen of the comics was just kind of like a hanger-on. Yeah. But definitely has this nice... Relation, working relationship they have as friends. So Kara's kind of confused. She's like, if Superman wanted me to choose the life of a superhero, why didn't he just tell me? And James says, well, he wanted you to choose it for yourself, just like he did. And so next, he presents her with a gift from Superman. And uh, inside is the blanket that he was wrapped in when he was a baby. A really crappy box. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kryptonian cardboard. Yeah, yeah. So, evidently, in addition to the, of course, the sentimental value of such an item, it serves as a cape that won't shred. Now, I always thought Superman's cape was the, the baby yeah, blanket. Yeah, I always thought that, too. 
So I don't know. Maybe he. Well, Superman flies around the galaxy. He probably picked up some more Kryptonian fabric or something. Yeah, went to a you know a fabric store somewhere and they had a, <laughs> they had a couple of yards of it or something. Sure, sure. Some bolts flying some around space. Bolts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so James says that Superman is proud of her, and he is too. And uh, you know, kind of says, "Well, don't you have a city to protect? You know, up, up and away." So we cut to Supergirl flying over the city. In voiceover, she says. I was sent here to protect my cousin. Turns out he didn't need my protection. But there's a whole planet full of people who do. And of course, you know, she flies by cat in her office. She flies by a very smiling win. She continues, Earth doesn't just have one hero anymore. Now it has me. Now it has Supergirl. And she flies past the screen, cutting to black. But of course, as with all superhero properties now, that's not the end of the episode. Yep. We always get this little scene at the end. So... We open on this black room. There's a figure in black standing behind a, a blue planet Earth kind of projected from a large pedestal. And we get a person called the Commander entering the room. He is that man that spoke to Vartox over the monitor. Uh, he refers to this figure as General, and he informs her that Vartox is dead. And he chose death over capture. Uh, however, he did identify Supergirl as the daughter of Allura. Hmm. And this general replies, Ah, my dear little niece. And so we cut to a better angle to see that this general looks identical to Allura. Yeah, this very, is... Very uh, interesting. So Allura's sister, apparently. Yeah, twin uh, sister. Twin twin sister, yes. You can see she has a different Kryptonian crest on. Same shape, but different internal. Doesn't have mm. the S, it has some other symbol internally. Basically get more details about making a new Krypton, which is where the season basically heads off. The commander feels that Superman is the greater threat, but the general says that if Supergirl is anything like her mother, she will be just as formidable. Mm. And uh, the general, of course, says it was her right to lead Krypton, and she will lead Earth. You know, along with the others. Yeah, you guys are involved too, sure. Yeah. And uh, she gives the commander the order to kill Kara, because even though she's related, you know, even though she's blood, no one will stand in their way. And so that kind of sets up where we're going for this season, and we cut to the Supergirl logo and the closing credits. So, Sean, what are your thoughts now upon watching Supergirl for this episode of the podcast? Well, you know, like I said, I really enjoyed it. I enjoy anything Superman in general and DC. I thought I think it's a well-rounded show. Seeing the whole season, I'm looking forward to the second season, definitely. And I definitely thought that if CW didn't pick it up, it was definitely worth a renewal by CBS. I know it kind of had the cards stacked against it to begin with, but I'm glad it's in its new location at, at CW. I think it's going to do very well there. And I just think it's it's well-balanced. I think they did a great job. There's no real bad episodes in the season. They're not Flash-level, a lot of them, I, I don't think. I, I really enjoy The Flash, but they're solid. It's a solid, entertaining show. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I was never really a big DC fan, as I've mentioned before. Uh, especially Supergirl, I really did not know much about this character. And this was great. You know, th this will erase any bad memories that 1984 movie had. It's just a, a great superhero drama. I, I was afraid that it was, especially since it was on CBS, that it would have more of a broad appeal. So I was expecting a lot more of a love story or a personal drama. No, this is a great superhero show. A lot of action, a lot of great flushed out characters. And uh, yeah, very much looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. Definitely, definitely. Hope they bring that comet to the super horse uh, into the series too. That'd be interesting. Oh boy, <laughs> one of one of Supergirl's pets. 
you know what? You, you, we never really know how many pods were sent, so we'll see. We'll yeah, see what crashes. Next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the next fort will be the pound yeah. that crashes. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, what powers you have, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Sean, you have anything you want to plug? Uh, just our, uh, my, oh, Jonah and myself, our, our YouTube channels. Well, his YouTube channel is EnderCoder. And, of course, we have the Three Blind Mice, which is our YouTube channel um, to do Minecraft shenanigans and things like that. Very nice. Uh, I'm on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also on Vine. There, my name is also MC and Friends. There, I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. You can check my stuff out there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. It's very much appreciated. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so please check us out on those platforms. And uh, if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel, set Hitting Play as a favorite, and you can stream us right through your television, right as these episodes are posted. Well, we have been Sean and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Up, up, and away. Up, up, and away.